In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 26. This chapter continues God's instructions for constructing a place of worship for the Israelites. The subject now is the tabernacle, a portable temple and home for the Ark of the Covenant for the 40-year trek through the wilderness. It was dismantled and reassembled every time the Israelites relocated, but it was also a witness to God's presence among His people. Good morning. Today is Thursday, December 15th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. This morning, I'd like to thank our underwriter, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. Now, without further ado, please join me in welcoming my guest to help us navigate Exodus 26. That's the Reverend Ben Dose, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Iowa. Pastor Dose, good morning and welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks. It's uh, great to great to be back again. So. Well, thanks. I'm excited to have you back on. Now, it has been a little while since we've talked. How are things going for you down in Arcadia this Advent season? Yeah, they're going really, really nice. Uh, just have a lot of things uh, going on here at church. We have uh, midweek uh, Advent services, and we have uh, Sunday uh, divine services, and so uh, all sorts of other uh, community events uh, going on at this time. Uh, my wife is a, a teacher at the local uh, school district, and so uh, she has all kinds of uh, uh, concerts and, and things going on. Our kids are involved in uh, music of all sorts, and so uh, just a lot of a lot of fun things uh, going on at this time of year. And so uh, this is, uh, you know, the, the best time, you know, one of the best times of the year to be a pastor. And so uh, we're just enjoying everything and and uh, looking forward to uh, the birth of Christ. Oh, that it is wonderful. And, it, and we, we've come out of ordinary time or Pentecost time, which is, you know, it's, it's wonderful, but it's, I don't want to say slow, right? But it, there's not a lot of festivals. We're now in the festival season. We have Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and and then Lent, and it, I, it's obviously my favorite time of the year uh, leading up to Lent. Actually, Holy Week's my most favorite church season. But this whole time, as you said, it keeps us pastors busy and out of trouble, keeps our people in church. We love it. Well, I tell you what, today we have our work cut out for us because we're going to be continuing to talk about, uh, I guess, what could be considered a little bit of a dry subject, and that is the descriptions, the instructions that God is giving for his place of worship. But when we dig into it, just as we did yesterday, you're going to see that, um, folks at home, you're going to see that there really is a little more to it than just sort of a list of things you have to go out and get. So we're going to we're gonna do that. But before we get into the text, I'd like to invite my guest, Pastor Dose, would you please start us off in prayer? Yeah, that's that'd be great. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you uh, for uh, the tabernacle. Uh, we do thank you for uh, being able to dwell with your people uh, in the Old Testament as you move them along by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, you promised that, that you would be with them uh, in the dwelling in the tabernacle. And so we, we thank you that uh, you are a God of presence, uh, that you are a God that uh, loves to be uh, with his people. Uh, today, uh, we know that you dwell with us uh, in this season of Advent. Uh, you come down to us in the word and the sacraments. Uh, you come down to us again and again uh, through the readings of Holy Scripture, and uh, you remind us that our sins are forgiven in your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that uh, Jesus is a, a a type, or excuse me, not a type, but uh, we know that uh, Jesus is the one who dwelt uh, among his people, and so uh, we know that he is the fulfillment of uh, the tabernacle, and so uh, help us now as we uh, look at uh, Exodus uh, chapter 26 today, as we look at at the uh, regulations that you have uh, for uh, putting up uh, the tabernacle. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, we are going to get into the tabernacle, but is there anything you'd like to catch us up with? You know, we, we've kind of come out of all of the, the amazing and powerful narratives of the 10 plagues and the grumbling in the desert and the fire and the thunder around Mount Sinai and everything that happens after. And now we have a list of all the things that God wants to be implemented into his tabernacle. As I've said earlier, it can get a little dry, and I'm not trying to undersell it because really within this, as you so uh, you pointed out, and it's so great, Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. So these things, as you meant to say, are the type, right? This is what is, is pointing forward to Jesus. So, so set the stage for us before we read the text. Go ahead. Well, uh, I would say uh, if we could look back at uh, Exodus chapter 24, uh, this is where the covenant is uh, confirmed. Uh, it's where uh, Moses uh, takes the blood and he pours it or sprinkles it uh, on the altar, uh, but also he uh, takes it and uh, sprinkles it or pours it on the people as well. And so uh, it's a great <laughs> passage. It's a great chapter where we see that uh, uh, this covenant uh, is confirmed uh, between uh, God and his people. And uh, what a what a great uh, uh, representation uh, that is uh, with the blood of Jesus uh, being poured uh, on his people as well. And so we, we definitely see that uh, uh, God is going to continue uh, to be with his people uh, throughout uh, the wandering in the wilderness uh, as we get ready to uh, look at the the tabernacle here uh, we definitely know that uh, uh, there's a, a certain uh, you know God is is dwelling with his people and so uh, that kind of sets I think the stage for uh, Exodus uh, 25 uh, which you looked at yesterday, uh, but also uh, Exodus uh, chapter 26 uh, as well, as we get uh, some of the... Uh, uh uh, uh, some of the things that we're we're looking at uh, as far as uh, the tabernacle, as far as the uh, the materials that are they're used uh, in the tabernacle and, and that sort of thing. So uh, right. everything is just everything is just kind of setting it up here for um, uh, what's going on uh, as we look at uh, Exodus chapter twenty six for today. So yeah, sounds good. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to read it just in the. The paragraphs that the ESV editors have divided it up in. And so that means I'll be reading 26 verses 1 through 10 to get us started. Here we go. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain 4 cubits. And all the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain on the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps, so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains you shall make, the length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves, and six, cur six curtains by themselves, and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is on the outermost in one set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is in the outermost in the second set. It goes on to talk about clasps of bronze, but we're going to stop right there. So here we have this very detailed description. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, Pastor, and, and, I, and I don't know where you're going to go with it, and I don't want to lead you astray, but I just have to bring up. God seems pretty particular with the ornateness of his worship space, which very much flies in the face of modern, so-called modern movements. And I say modern, I mean in the last 500 years, modern movements who have sought to say there should be, you know, no, no, no icons, no, no, you know, 
ornateness, no stained glass, no, but that's not kind of how God himself describes his worship place. So what's going on here with all these details? Very good point. Um, We definitely see that uh, here in Exodus uh, 26, that God is a a God of order. Uh, He is a God that wants worship uh, to flow and uh, to look a certain way. And so uh, you have to ask the question, uh, what happened, you know, 500 years ago, or maybe a little bit longer, where the people said, well, we're not going to uh, have uh, ornate worship. Uh, we're not going to have uh, these things uh, in order like God uh desires them. Uh, As I was uh, getting ready for today, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, Much of today, uh, you know, uh, we find that churches will uh, have uh, nothing in their sanctuary, Uh, no cross, uh, no bronze, uh, you know, certain things that are just missing uh, in the sanctuary that, uh, as we can see from, you know, at least Exodus 26, we can definitely see that God wants things to be uh, orderly and he wants things to uh, look a certain way. And he's very particular uh, in these 10 verses that we just looked at that say, wow, uh, you know, this is this is big. You know, God wants God wants things to be a certain way. And so, uh, you know, um, it's just kind of one of those things where uh, I think if sometimes we we miss that today uh, in today's society where things are just kind of bland or or just just you know not very ornate. Uh, the congregation I serve here at Zion Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Iowa, uh, our sanctuary, our church building uh, will turn 100 years old in 2023. And so it's a church building that has uh, withstood uh, about 100 years. So it will be 100 years, Lord willing, in 2023. And, uh, you know, uh, when people come to worship with us, uh, especially for, you know, kind of the big things that happen, you know, baptisms, confirmations, weddings, where they're, you know, coming in as, as a visitor, uh, they say, wow, your church really looks like a church. <laughs> right. And so, and so we have stained glass windows, uh, you know, we've got uh, a, a rare dose, uh, which is uh, basically, uh, it houses uh, the altar uh, up in front of the church, and Jesus is there, and uh, he has kind of open hands. Uh, it's the a traditional statue of, of Jesus with open hands, and he's pointing to uh, the altar, and, and basically he's saying, I am here, and this is where I can be found. And so, you know, we just have uh, a, just a very beautiful sanctuary that we've, you know, tried to, uh, as best we can, you know, take care of over these last uh, 100 years. And so, uh, you know, we want people to know when they come here to the creation that, you know, this is a place where God is to be found. Uh, God dwells. And so uh, on one side of the church, we have uh, the seals. Uh, we have a seal of, of holy baptism, uh, which reminds the people that this is where, you know, God comes down in holy baptism uh, to be with his people uh, above the pulpit where I preach. We have a seal that is for Holy Communion, and so we just always want people to be reminded that these are the means of grace. Uh, This is where God comes down uh, to dwell with us. Uh, We had it uh, redecorated or repainted uh, in 2011, and so we added these uh, seals uh, as they were in the previous church. Uh, uh, We we wanted people to know that this is where God comes down. He dwells uh, amongst his people. So, you know, we just want to use uh, the space and and use the the things that God has given to us uh, to make sure that people know that this is where God wants to be found. He wants to be found uh, in the word, in the sacraments, and in the forgiveness of sins. Right. And, you know, and I do admit that there are for some people, it's more of a, a financial issue, right? It, it, it's expensive to have built or make your church space ornate. And so no one is saying that you should go off and, and spend all your money. Don't help the poor. Don't feed the hungry and use all your money to buy golden statues of Jesus. But as you point out, you have these image, this imagery in your church from the Rarados to the seals and all of it is to communicate the faith. 
And my church here, my congregation building here in Laverne is much like yours. It's pretty typical Midwestern church. We have a Raridos, we have a crucifix. Uh, we don't have a statue of Jesus, you know, the, the sort of resurrected arms out Jesus. But we do have stained glass that depicts each and every um, major event of the Old Testament leading up to Christ into the New Testament. Just, yeah, we have these beautiful things. But I still hear people say, well, you know, we don't want to have uh, statues or we wouldn't, for instance, you don't find many icons in Lutheran churches, but if these people would go on vacation and they were to go into a beautiful Roman Catholic cathedral or to go into an Eastern Orthodox church or to go into some of the Lutheran cathedrals of Europe, they would take all these pictures because it's beautiful. It tells you something. It points your eyes up to God. And, and we wanted to have a little piece of that with us, but here in the text, you know, God is giving them this tabernacle so that it is a kind of a mobile home for God, right? It's 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 on it's on the road. It's not where he's going to be forever. It's not even where he resides. Of course, he's omnipotent, but his you know, he resides in heaven, but it gives them this this understanding that he's still with them. But with all these curtains and the holy place and the most holy place, it also says that you just can't approach God willy-nilly, right? You the, you know, it's you can't just approach God whenever you want. Um, because right now there's still that separation. The Christ hasn't come. Right. Correct. Yep. Yep. And so uh, the only ones that uh, you know could go into uh, the holy of holies uh, were were the priests. Yep. And so they you know had to be uh, clean uh, you know before they could uh, go into uh, the holy of holies. And and there's really you know nothing that they could do by themselves uh, to make themselves clean. Uh, but uh, you know they were given that uh, that responsibility uh, to go into uh, the holy of holies there so um yeah so uh we definitely see that uh yeah god wants to uh wants wants to be found there and uh, uh only you know only certain people uh could go into uh into those those places uh uh where he wants to be found so mm-hmm. so we look at all this we see all the joining together by the edges with stitches we see the loops at the edge of the curtains and the gold clasps i assume here that this is, you know, uh, solid gold, right? I don't think they have plating technology, right? So these are, these are, where do they get this gold, right? Where do you wonder if the folks at home remember? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, they brought uh, a lot of that gold with them uh, through uh, the uh, through the Exodus uh, from from Egypt, and so it was one of those things where uh, you know they were able to. Uh, to bring it with them and uh, continue to uh, use that uh, gold and, and you know possibly melt it down and and rework it uh, for these uh, clasps and and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, but definitely uh, they were able to uh, uh, to bring this uh, this gold uh, with them uh, from from Egypt. And so uh, there must have been you know quite a bit of gold <laughs> in Egypt uh, for uh, the people to be able to uh, to bring it with them. Uh, we do remember, uh, you know, earlier in Exodus, uh, where there was the incident of the golden calf, where uh, they brought the gold together and uh, burned it down, and you know, f- fashioned a, a golden calf. Uh, so we definitely know that there was uh, some gold that was uh, being used uh, for certain things uh, since they came out of Egypt, and and uh, for uh, the purpose of building the tabernacle, uh, God desired that uh, they use the, the gold there too as well. Uh, you know, if you look back at uh, Exodus uh, chapter 25, uh, Exodus chapter 25, uh, the first uh, nine verses, uh, the first nine verses of Exodus chapter 25, uh, the contributions uh, for the sanctuary. And so uh, God desired uh, from uh, chapter 25, verse 2, uh, from every man whose heart moves him, he shall receive the contribution uh, for me. And verse 3, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, 
tanned rams, skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting uh, for the ephod and for the breast, breast piece. And so uh, we definitely see from uh, Exodus chapter 25 uh, that they must have had these things with them and brought them uh, with them uh, from Egypt. There's no evidence, uh, of course, or maybe there is, but I don't think there is, that the gold they would have used for the uh, the uh, golden idol would have then been repurposed. But I'd like to think in my head that God make melt down their idol and then repurpose for his uses. Uh, again, no evidence of that, but boy, that sure would be good. So, uh, so any significance behind any of this thing that you've seen, of the, you know, the 50 clasps and that, I mean, uh, the 50 loops and that sort of thing, uh, you know, the blue colors, any connections there at all? Or is this just sort of a, an ornate display based on the materials they would have had? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I just direct our readers uh, for uh, those who are able, uh, if they have the Lutheran Study Bible uh, produced by Concordia Publishing House, uh, on page 141 of the uh, regular print, I don't have the large print in front of me, but just the regular print, on page 141, uh, there's a list of the materials of the tabernacle. And so uh, we have uh, five different uh, sets of materials. We have metals, cloth, hides, plants, and minerals. And so uh, if we just kind of look at, you know, the cloth, um, uh, blue yarn, uh, curtain decoration, uh, courtyard curtain, uh, ephod, and the breast piece, uh, robe cord. Uh, the coast of Canaan was known for the production of blue and purple dyes, which derived from mollusk shells and were expensive to produce. Uh, therefore, these colors were associated with wealth and royalty. And so that was the blue yarn and the purple yarn there as well. Uh, the scarlet yarn, uh, the color is derived from the body of a female uh, cocknell uh, insect. Uh, this vigorous dye is known for its staining power. Uh, scarlet became a symbol of sin. However, in Moses' day, scarlet wool was used in ritual cleaning uh, from sin and sickness. Uh, the color probably uh, represented the cleansing power of blood. And so these are just some, uh, some of the uh, uh, different uh, cloths uh, that were used here, blue, purple, and scarlet. Um, uh, we can also, uh, you know, read through the, the, the metals. I'm not going to go through uh, all of them, but, uh, uh, but they had a certain, uh, significance, a certain meaning to them. Uh, just for instance, I'll just do gold, uh, symbol of wealth and authority, uh, used for money and for making precious items such as idols. Uh, so, uh, Anyway, these are just some things that uh, uh, if some of our readers have the Lutheran Study Bible, they can uh, take a look at here on page uh, 141 uh, in the Lutheran Study Bible. So, Yeah, that's a great resource. Now, of course, I can't share it with them. I wish I could. But I have this wonderful image of the tabernacle, too. And it, as you look at it, it, it at least the way that this particular image has been uh, given, this is from Logos Bible Software, but they show this outer court. They show in the middle the 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 pillar, and then they show the uh, the temple, like the little mini temple inside. It's just amazing how they set this up, and they then broke it down when they moved and reset it up with the holy of holies and the ark and the veil and the altar of incense and the lampstands and the holy places and the table of showbread and the outer veils. It's just God sets this up because. I, and this, again, I don't know if I could say, okay, this is exactly where the scriptures say this, but as I get the idea that God is continually testing them in the wilderness, part of this is giving them this task to do, to set up and break down the tabernacle as a means of testing their faith and their resolve to continue to trust in him, because it's got to be quite the task to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, as I was kind of getting ready for today, too, you know, um, thinking about the tabernacle uh, being mobile and the tabernacle, you know, knowing you have to 
put it up and use it and then take it down. Uh, we're in one of my favorite seasons of the year, not just for the church, but <laughs> I love to ice fish. And so for oh, some nice. of our some of our listeners, uh, they might not understand what that is. Well, uh, we uh, ice fishermen uh, like to go out on a frozen lake or a pond and uh, drill through the ice uh, to catch fish. And one of the things that we like to use is our uh, portable tents uh, or portable shacks. <laughs> and so sometimes uh, it's a little bit of work uh, to be able to, you know, uh, carry your, your shack. It's usually in a sled, uh, but you usually will take the, the sled and the shack out. And, and uh, when we get to a place where we want to go and we want to fish uh then we put up our shack and and uh you know fish uh in the shack for the fish and so anyway i I couldn't help but think of uh you know the tabernacle being a little bit like a fish house (laughs) not not exactly in every sense uh but in the sense of uh you know, uh, you have to uh, to work, uh, you know, pretty hard sometimes uh, to be able to uh, get up uh, the fish house, or in this case, uh, the tabernacle. Uh, you've got uh, certain uh, variables that uh, can really be challenging. Uh, sometimes it can be very hot. <laughs> uh, in the case of uh, putting up the tabernacle, uh, it can be very windy. Uh, trying to put the poles in place and and uh, making sure that the coverings are on and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it's it's probably not the easiest thing to do uh, to be able to uh, put up the tabernacle. And so, you know, it's it's just a matter of, of uh, uh, like uh, like you, Pastor Boo said, you know, it's, it's something that they have to think about. Uh, it's something that, uh, you know, they have to kind of, uh, you know, God is keeping them honest, I guess, if that's what you want to say. Uh, about uh, you know uh, making sure that his uh, his his place is is set up uh, very ornately and, and nicely uh, so that the people uh, can can be there uh, worshiping uh, the the one true God and so yeah I think that I think that kind of hits home too you know um, as far as you know as, as an ice fisherman you know uh, we love to. Uh, you know, go out there and, and uh, work hard uh, for the fish that we do catch. And and I always like to say that, uh, you know, uh, ice fishing is definitely one of those uh, sports or those hobbies that will really uh, test your endurance, <laughs> yeah. especially when it's the uh, middle of winter and, and the snow is blowing and the, the wind is blowing and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, you appreciate it uh, more uh, when you go out and, and actually, you know, catch some fish and bring some home, um, you know, because you, you've worked so hard, uh, to, to get there. So, well, as I think about your analogy there, you know, when you're in that, uh, fish house, you know, it, it may not be the most comfortable in the world, but you are protected from the outside elements. You're much safer in there than you might be, especially if it starts to snow or a little bit of a storm than you would be outside of it. And of course, uh, I could keep pushing it and go real far and talk about God feeding you from it, um, but but we'll we'll stop there. But I tell you what, uh, we're almost up to the break, but I want to get some more verses under. So this is going to be verses. Uh, we got through ten, so we're going to read verses eleven through twenty-five. You shall make fifty clasps of bronze and put the clasps in the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains and the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side, to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So you shall do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, twenty frames for the south side, and forty bases of silver. You shall make under the twenty frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, twenty frames, 
and their 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle, westward you shall make six frames, and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they shall be separate beneath but joined at the top, and at the first ring, it, uh, and it then it shall be with both of them, they shall form the two corners. And there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, sixteen bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. Well, that ends with verse 25. I gotta tell you, I got lost reading it. I, I would hope I would hope that, you know, Moses, as he's delivering this message, is sort of making some drawings. He say, here's what's going on. I couldn't imagine trying to, I do like a tiny bit of woodworking, mostly pen making, but I, I couldn't imagine having to follow these instructions, but perhaps it made more sense to them. And we'll think that it makes more sense in the Hebrew. Uh, just a few more verses through 30. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and make their rings of gold for the holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Ooh. Now, while we have more verses in the chapter, I think that's a good place to stop now for a couple reasons. One, we're up against a break. But two, because we now have this, um, I don't know, it's like a quarter of a football field or maybe a third of a football field long sized tabernacle. And we have silver and we have gold. And now we're at the point where they can set it up. But what I think is striking is it says, according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. That'll be interesting to look at when we get back. But for now, we're going to take a break. Folks at home, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Dose and I will continue to look at all these fine details about God's tabernacle in the wilderness. We'll see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches? where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors. What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Ben Dose, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Iowa. Before we jump back in the text, I just want to let you know, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, feel free to direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Want to get in touch with our guest? Email me too. I'll put you in touch. I'm happy to answer your questions on or off the air. Now, Pastor Dose, before the break, we had finally gotten through a bunch more verses and I'm just going to be honest, the verses really kind of lagged under all of the details. Uh, what is, you know, why is God through Moses passing down this information to us? It seems we don't have to set up tabernacles. Why pass this down? Yeah, well, uh, I, I believe it's uh, it's so that uh, the, the people uh, know and the people uh, understand uh, the, the kind of God God is, uh, that he's a God of order, uh, that he's a, a God who wants things done uh, a certain way. Uh, and uh, it's something that uh, the people uh, should uh, probably uh, have Im impressed upon their minds and their hearts uh, that this is the, the, the kind of uh, God he is, that he is going to uh, take care of them, uh, that he has a certain uh, plan for them, uh, that uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time uh, for uh, his plan uh, to come about with uh, Jesus and uh, all the prophets uh, making way for, for Jesus to come. But uh, in the end, uh, it's still the place where uh, God is, is going to uh, fulfill 
that promise that uh, that Jesus uh, is is to come here. Uh, as far as uh, you know, what we have. Uh, going on here uh, in this in this text uh, you know there's uh, uh, certain kind of things that uh, help us uh, think about uh, other places uh, in the Bible uh, this instance of a, a square or a rectangle uh, that uh, you know basically the four corners of the earth um, uh, Jesus uh, when he is ascended uh, up into heaven or right at his ascension uh, he says to the disciples uh, you shall be my witnesses uh, to uh, to uh, let's see Judea, uh, Judea to Jerusalem to Judea uh, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth and so uh, kind of you know talking uh, a little bit about the, the four corners uh, of the earth and so uh, he gives us a picture of what that looks like here uh, in the uh, building of the uh, kind of the outside the frame of the tabernacle uh, he gives us a, a rem- reminder of you know the earth is is you know typically talked about in the four corners uh, uh, quite a bit uh, yeah, throughout the scriptures and so uh, here uh, he's just trying to uh, help them see uh, that this is uh, the, the four corners uh, of the earth uh, in in the tabernacle here uh, the, the thing that uh, you know we kind of uh, stopped on uh, as far as uh, verse 30 uh, then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan uh, for it that you were shown on the mountain uh, so it might seem uh, a lot of uh, uh, busy work, or it might seem like, oh, this is too much, you know. But, uh, you know, God was able to show uh, Moses uh, this plan uh, in uh, uh, in the... Uh, on Mount Sinai, excuse me, on Mount Sinai. Uh, and so, anyway, uh, we know that... Uh, that Moses does have <laughs> uh, the plan, and uh, hopefully he can, uh, you know, give it to, to the people, and, and hopefully they can uh, follow it according to the plan. Uh, but anyway, Moses does have it. Uh, God did reveal it uh, to Moses, and so he's able to, uh, you know, hopefully give it to the people, and they can follow it, and and everything is going to be uh, real good there. So. I think it's interesting we see these precious metals being used too. Now, silver, I actually am a big fan of silver. I love silver even more than gold, although if you want to give me a pound of one, I'll take the gold. But but I, I, li- I just love the look of silver, and it's just every post is founded upon silver. And then, of course, we have the gold class, which we argued, are they solid? And I would say, yeah. But, but of course, the wooden frames are overlaid with gold. But this is still just a ton of gold with this careful hammer work, thin sheets of gold where they, you know, smelted and then basically pounded out to a, a large sheet, kind of like what we would do today. And um, we see a lot of this, uh, the plans that God has set forth. I wonder if God is using some of the patterns of worship that they would have observed even among the Egyptians or the other pagans, you know, God has gotten glory over all these false gods and now using something that's familiar to them, you know, things like precious metals and worship places, because God's everywhere. He's, he's condescending to the people to give them, you know, a place to worship him. And, And we have this today too. People go, well, if God's everywhere, I can just encounter him anywhere. But no, God comes to us in a special place, not because he has to, but because we really need to be focused and centered on God. Correct. Correct. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be uh, that would be the, the thing that uh, I think God is really trying to. Yeah. Like uh, we talked about, uh, you know, really trying to you know, impress upon the people that this is, this is where uh, I can I can be found. Uh, this is where uh, you can focus your attention uh, on me. Uh, to receive uh, me, uh, to receive me, and to receive uh, the the gifts and the blessings uh, that I give uh, to you, and so uh, yeah, so with the the uh, gold and silver and bronze and and all the things that uh, uh, God is talking about here in verses uh, fifteen through thirty, uh, definitely we we want to be able to say, hey, you know, this is this is where. God wants to be found, and uh, you know the same 
the same goes today, right? The same goes today that uh, God wants to be found uh, in those things that uh, uh, are so are so precious, uh, and that's you know partly why we have the some of the things that we have today uh, in our sanctuaries uh, to uh, kind of model uh, what God gave to uh, the people here uh, in Exodus. And so uh, I think about, uh, you know, some of the military chaplains, you know, some of the military chaplains, uh, you know, uh, yes, they can set up a worship space uh, anywhere, uh, you know, on the battlefield or, or, you know, in a, a, a tent or, or whatever the case may be. But uh, uh, I know that uh, a lot of our, our brothers in the LCMS, as far as chaplains go, uh, you know, they'll try to make sure that they have uh, some of these ornate things uh, to uh, set their worship space apart uh, from the battlefield or from the room that uh, is is kind of uh, without uh, you know the gold or the silver or or the bronze uh, whatever the case may be there but uh, you know I think the same is is true there that they want uh, their uh, worshipers uh, to be able to uh, focus uh, in on what God has has done for them and so uh, I think the same is, is true with our our uh, our brothers and sisters in, in Christ in the Siberian Lutheran Church. Um, you know, they have not so many nice things in Siberia, but uh, one of the things that they really do that I've kind of found uh, over the years is that really they really want to make sure that uh, they have a space where you know the people can can worship uh, and they can focus uh, their minds and their hearts uh, on Christ and so uh, you know you'll see a picture uh, or a video uh, of people worshiping uh, over in you know Siberia and the Siberian Lutheran Church and uh, you know they have uh, uh, a nice uh, crucifix uh, you know bronze crucifix or the, the pastors will be robed in uh, a chasuble, uh, you know, finely colored a chasuble, uh, you know, or, uh, 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 and that sort of thing. And so anyway, uh, yeah, I think that, that, you know, that those colors, you know, really uh, set the set the mind and focus the mind on uh, where God uh, desires to be found there. So. I think those are great examples, especially – well, no, both of them are. But I, I guess I tuned in more to the the battlefield one, though, because it's a place apart from their everyday life, apart from where they're doing training and they're always ready and apart from where they occasionally might have to do battle. And and this is exactly what's going on with these Israelites. You know, They need something that takes them out of the world for a moment, that takes them out of the wandering through the desert – you know, they, they are people without a home, and here is God making his home among them, which is so important, naturally points forward to God who makes his home through us in Christ. And, of course, that's the Advent season, right? But, but yeah, I love that connection. It makes so much sense. And it's so important for us today, too, to get out of the world. So when we come into our worship spaces, what do we want? More of what the world offers, or do we want to be set apart with God? And that's something we have to ask ourselves. So I'm going to read just the rest of the verses. This is 31 through 37. Just get a little bit more description on the table because now he's talking about the veils. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there with the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. And you shall put the mercy seat of the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Now, that ends our chapter But this just beautiful depiction of what the veil looked like, the veil, of course, which gets 
torn in twain when Christ, you know, uh, yeah, but still we have this beautiful description, lots of effort. Uh, the cherub beam skillfully worked into it. I want to bring that up only because in the 10 commandments we have in the first commandment, uh, the, this idea of don't make graven images. And some people have said, well, that means you can't ever picture anything in heaven on earth. That's right. It's what it says. But cherubim are in heaven. So God's telling them to make a graven image. Well, this proves to us that this isn't about having, you know, the, the, the commandment isn't about never having any sort of pictures of God or Jesus or angels or anything like that. It's just really about worshiping them. And they're not being worshiped here. It's just, a you know, a, an homage to God's creation. Anyway, go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you'll find that in the, the first uh, uh, the first uh, curtain uh, as well. Uh, there was, uh, uh, as far as Exodus chapter 26, uh, verse 1, uh, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. Uh, you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. So, uh, twice in the same chapter, uh, in Exodus chapter 26, uh, we definitely have the cherubim uh, skillfully woven or worked into it. And so, yeah, it's it's not so much that we're worshiping the cherubim, but they can definitely be, you know, part of uh, the beautiful uh, artwork, uh, the, the beautiful uh, decoration uh, that we have uh, to uh, help us uh, remember uh, where God is in the midst of us and and how he, you know, continues to, to come to us. And so, uh, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, we don't want to get too uh, driven by the law to say that uh, we can't have uh, cherubim or you know, today uh, we can't have uh, those things uh, in our sanctuary or uh, in the place where we worship. Uh, we don't want to be too driven by the law there, but simply uh, they are uh, helping us uh, see uh, the the great, uh, wonderful things that, that God has done for us. Uh, once again, in the sanctuary that we have here, uh, that where I serve at uh, Zion Arcadia, uh, we have uh, in Latin uh, at the top of uh, the sanctuary, uh, the wall there. Anyway, it says Sanctus, 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 uh, which is a direct uh, quotation from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, uh, where the cherubim and the seraphim are uh, saying, Holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord God Almighty. And so it's uh, <clears throat> Isaiah's uh, vision of God and uh you know, it's one of those things where uh, in our sanctuary, uh, you know, where it says sanctus, sanctus, sanctus uh, in the Latin. Uh, it's, you know, just a, a reminder for us of the cherubim. <laughs> it's a reminder of us, uh, for us, of uh, the vision that Isaiah had uh, in, uh, you know, where he's, uh, uh, you know, right there in the presence of God. And so um, we don't worship. <laughs> we don't worship the Sanctus, 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 but, you know, simply it's just one of those things where it helps us uh, and it reminds us of, you know, wow, we're in the presence of God. Uh, we're in the presence of, of the Almighty. Uh, he comes to us uh, just as uh, Isaiah was in the presence of God. Uh, and he said, woe, uh, woe to me for I am ruined from a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord almighty. And, you know, so basically, you know, Isaiah uh, says there uh, in the word, woe, uh, basically he says, I'm dead. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> but what happens, right? Uh, the seraphim, uh, the, the cherubim, uh, goes to the altar, uh, grabs a uh, piece of coal from the altar, and takes it to the lips of Isaiah, and his sin is forgiven. He touches the lips of Isaiah, and his sins are forgiven. And uh, and so, uh, also, uh, we know that when we come into the presence of God, uh, we are not worthy, uh, we are unclean. But uh, what happens? Uh, we, we receive the forgiveness of sins uh, in the divine service. Uh, we remember our baptism. Uh, we receive absolution. And also, uh, we receive Christ's body and blood. Uh, 
in the bread and the wine. And uh, we receive that uh, each and every Sunday uh, here as as uh, we come together for the divine service. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're not uh, worshiping those uh, special things, but we're simply just uh, using them to remember uh, what God has done and and we're in the presence of God. Well put. Is there anything else you want to share before we end our program today? You know, there's so much in this text that points forward to Jesus, and I think that's a good note to end it on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, you you mentioned before as well, uh, as far as the veil, uh, we know that at the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, we know that he tore that veil in two from top to bottom uh, when he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Uh, we know that in the death of Jesus, uh, there is no separation uh, between uh, the holies uh, the holy place, excuse me, and the most holy place. Uh, but we have access uh, to Jesus now uh, because of his death on the cross. And so uh, a good passage or a good chapter to look at is uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, where we have, you know, basically what it means that the, the uh, temple curtain was torn in two uh, from top to bottom, that we have access uh, to the grace of Jesus because of uh, Jesus' uh, death on the cross. Uh, obviously, in his resurrection, uh, we know that uh, we will have eternal life, and so don't want to miss out on that as well. But uh, uh, we definitely know that uh, as there was a separation here uh, in the tabernacle, between the holy place and the most holy place, uh, we know that now, because of Jesus, uh, there is no separation, uh, that we have access uh, to the grace of God. And what a what a gift and what a blessing uh, that is that we have one that has uh, gone before us and uh, torn down that separation. Uh, just a couple things. Um, I'm looking at a couple of different uh, uh commentaries that if people would like to uh, look at. Uh, this is the people's commentary. Uh, people, excuse me, let me let me back up. The people's Bible commentary. And so this is on the book of Exodus. Uh, I believe that they can still look at these through Concordia Publishing House. Uh, but anyway, the people's Bible commentary uh, for Exodus. And then also the other book that I'm looking at here today as well is God Dwells with His People by Paul Zare. And uh, it's one that I used to, at the seminary uh, speaking about the tabernacle. And uh, I believe when I was there that uh, uh, this traveling tabernacle uh, came and was set up uh, in the library. So, uh, but anyway, oh, uh, the, the book is called God Dwells with His People by Paul M. Zare. And uh, I'm not sure if it's still in print. I, I would hope it is, but I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, people can check that out as well. So anyway, I just wanted to, uh, uh, you know, help people out with uh, maybe some, some extra reading that we have on the tabernacle here. Well, that's great. Yes. And that People's Bible Commentary is indeed available through CPH at cph.org. So yeah, people can check that out. Well, gosh, well, I'd like to thank you for being on the show, brother. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It's just uh, great to great to be on here. So excellent. Well, I'd like to thank my guest. That was the Reverend Ben Dose, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Iowa. And folks, thank you for joining us too. come back tomorrow as we continue to hear God's instructions for the tabernacles, furnishings and the surrounding court. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.